0: Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 1, John chapter 1. Today, we're going to continue our series of messages that we've been calling the Christmas Remix. And you'll remember that in this series, what we've been doing is we've been taking uh, famous Christmas songs and we've been tweaking the title just a little bit. Now, we're not singing the songs differently, uh, but we're tweaking the title a little bit in order to bring out a thought or a nuance that that may be uh, we don't think about very often, and so today we're going to take that song "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel" and tweak the title to "O Come, O Rise, O Come, Emmanuel." And I want to kind of show you how, through Scripture, the birth of Christ is not just a standalone event, but that it's actually connected to creation, it's connected to the cross, and it's even connected to the culmination of all things. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And so in our understanding of Jesus, he's the God-man. Now, he's not the man-God. He's the God-man. You see, God did something that man could never do. He came down, he took on the likeness of man, and he dwelt among us. Man could never become God, in fact, as you develop theological radar, one of the things that you need to be aware of is that most major world religions work from man up to God. In fact, the idea is that in a lot of world religions, if I can be uh, good enough, then God will love me because of my goodness, or if I do the right things, then eventually. I'll become God myself. In many major world religions, the idea of either merging your identity into God or becoming God of your own planet is a major thought. But in Christianity, instead of us working our way to God, God comes to us, Emmanuel comes down and dwells among us and does for us what we could never do for ourselves. This idea of Emmanuel, it goes all the way back into early Israel history. The tabernacle where God would come and dwell among them. Isaiah prophesied about the day when when the girl would bring forth a, a child. And the Hebrews waited. They waited for centuries. In fact, for 400 years, there was silence between the Hebrew people and God. But they still anticipated this day. That the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, would come. And so Emmanuel, it's a fulfillment of a promise that God had made to his people many years before. That he would not leave them in sorrow. And even still today, we celebrate the Emmanuel. The fact that God has come during this Christmas season. Think about this from a global perspective. Billions of people around the world, 2,000 plus years after the event, will still gather, stop their lives. In fact, for many families spend an entire month preparing for the celebration of Emmanuel. We describe God coming to us, Emmanuel, with words like joy, love, peace, goodwill, and let me ask you this question as we kind of begin our time together today. In your life, as you think about Emmanuel, would we use words like love, joy, peace, and goodwill to describe how you're feeling today, how you're celebrating Christmas as an individual or as a family? Have you ever had a Christmas uh, misgiving you ever had a Christmas misgiving, and what I mean by that is, have you ever been at a Christmas gift exchange, and in the process, somebody got the wrong gift? Now, that happened in my family a couple of years ago. I was with my 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 extended family, so I had my sisters and my dad and everybody. And my dad opens up a Christmas gift that was intended for one of my sisters, and so my dad got this really nice, lovely purse. Now. Maybe some of you guys have the man purses and everything like that, and I'm not gonna judge you, okay? But that's not how Omer Banks rolls, okay? He doesn't do he doesn't do the man purses, and so we all got we all got really a good laugh out of the fact that he had received this Christmas misgiving. Well, some people are misgiven about the birth of Christ. Some people, whenever they think of the birth of Christ, they think that in and of itself the birth of Christ has the full meaning of Of everything that God has done for us. But in reality, the birth of Christ is a connecting event. It connects us all the way back to creation. And I love John's account of the birth of Christ because it doesn't just give us the historical details. But in John's account of the birth of Christ, it gives us the meaning and it gives us the theological history of of the birth. And so he begins with these words, in the beginning... Was the Word. Now, time out right here. Make sure you understand this. The Word here is not referring to the Bible, the Word here is refer- referring to Jesus. As you read the chapter, you see it very clearly that the Word is intended to be received as Jesus. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, process that all the way back to the beginning. You say that sounds like Genesis 1. It was intended to sound like Genesis 1. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. LifeWay Research published this week some statistics about America's views on Christmas. And in their research they found that 63% of Americans believe that you should visit a church during the Christmas season and go to a a service of worship. 79% of Americans and I was encouraged by this, 79% of Americans said that they believe that Christmas should be more about the birth of Jesus, that we need to move away from some of the commercialism and really get back to the roots of what Christmas is all about. Seventy percent said that Christmas would be better if we had more of a Christian focus in our Christmas celebrations. Now, you can take these next two uh, data sets for, for whatever they are, but 39% of Americans find the term Xmas to be offensive. And 29% of Americans find happy holidays to be offensive. 86% of uh, people believe that religious Christmas songs should be allowed in public school Christmas programs. Now, as we're going through all these statistics, I'm thinking, okay, so basically within America, as you look at this, there's still about an 80% Majority that understand that that Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Christ, and they encourage that, and they even want to see more of that in their celebrations. And yet, this last statistic stood out to me because only 56% say that they believe Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem. Now, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We are what you call Trinitarian. We believe that there is one God, but he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he exists simultaneously in those three persons. And it's not a a modalistic understanding where God is the Father, and then sometimes he's the Son, and sometimes he's the Spirit. But he's all three of those in his oneness. And the Trinity has been, is, and always will be. You say, why do we believe that? Well, because we believe the Bible teaches that. And right here in John chapter 1, we see an argument for the fact that Jesus existed long before Bethlehem. So I'm hoping that everybody at Murphy Road drives up that 56%, okay? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the, he was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him. And apart from Him, that means apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. So without Christ, you're not here. Without Christ, we don't have the world, we don't have creation. Now, God made a choice. God made a choice to create. And into that creation slithered sin. As you read the book of Romans, you you discover in the first three chapters that Paul makes a, a very strong case that that sin that began there in the Garden of Eden has spread to all people so that All of us, when we're capable of moral action, we rebel against God and we find ourselves uh, sinners. As you move into chapter 8 of Romans, there's this idea that the, the flesh that we live in is always kind of pulling against us. And so even those of us who are believers and we're able to walk in the Spirit, there's still a little frustration because... We want to do what's right, yet we're always finding ourselves being kind of pulled backwards. You ever experienced that? I mean, I'm assuming that most of you guys are believers, and, and, and you want to do the right thing, you want to listen to the sermon, and yet there's these other things distracting you. <laughs> you know, you, you want to you read the Bible, and yet sometimes you just get so busy that, that you miss out on it. And, and so the Bible even says in Romans 8 that the creation itself is groaning. Because there's this frustration within the creation. And there is this sense that something is just not quite right. That all the blessings that do exist in the world, there's still these other things pulling against them. And there's something just not right. And we live with a high degree of fear. Now some of you guys are like, not me, man. I'm not afraid of not afraid of anything. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'll go. I'm I'm an MMA fighter. You know, I'm not afraid of anything. Some, but but the reality is, we live with a lot of fear. Think about how much how many things in your world you lock up. You wake up in the morning, and you unlock your phone to turn off the alarm, and then you check your email, and you have to put a password in there to check your email and then the dog needs to go outside so you got to turn off the alarm in order to let the dog outside and then not only do you turn off the alarm but you also have to unlock the door to let the dog outside and then then you go through your breakfast and then you unlock the door again to get to your car and then you have to unlock the garage door to let it go up and then you know there's security within your car whenever you start it up and and everywhere you're going throughout your life you're constantly living your life with this security and, and these locks because you're afraid that somebody might take something from you. That all speaks back to this basic nagging reality that something's just not right in the world. So God intervenes into his creation and he sends his son, but the birth of Christ is not a standalone event. The birth of Christ is connected to the cross. Look at verse 10 of John chapter 1. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, or of the will of flesh, or of the will of man, but they were born of the will of God. Now, how ironic it is right here that Jesus would come, that he would live among us, that he would take up residence with us, and people would miss it. They wouldn't even see it. They would go right past him in their activity. And yet that same reality exists today? Is it not ironic to you that the entire point of Christmas is the celebration of Jesus' birth? And yet, how many people get so caught up in the busyness of December, and we get caught up in making sure that we have all the presents bought, and we get caught up in making sure that the meal is prepared, and all the travel plans are taken care of, and that we're going to see everybody we're supposed to see, and trying to live up to the expectations of everybody in our life, and we get so caught up in all of that, that right here in the season, where billions of people are celebrating Christmas, we wind up missing out on jesus christ i encourage you in your christmas celebration do not overlook christ in fact let's do something that is just truly radical in society today okay would you turn to the person sitting next to you and just say merry christmas did not that feel good i mean you guys are a bunch of rebels i tell you what Uh, don't let that get out that we said merry christmas around here You know, uh, but ignoring Christ or missing Christ is nothing new. Jesus lived amongst his own people. He performed these miracles, and yet people missed out on who he is. But the birth of Christ was all driving towards the cross. It's interesting to me that the wise men, one of the gifts that they brought Jesus was the myrrh. Do you know what myrrh was? It's ancient embalming fluid. Not exactly a practical gift. You know, the wise men were obviously men and not women. Because if women were the wise men, they would have showed up on time, not later. They would have made sure that Mary was taken care of, and they would have brought some practical gifts like diapers and pacifiers, things like that. Not myrrh. Why do you bring myrrh? To a baby, all right? Embalming fluid. That's just not a good baby shower gift. Don't try it. I don't recommend it. Unless the birth was actually connected to the death. In the wise man's gift, there was actually a foreshadowing of the fact that the cradle and the cross are eternally connected in the plan of God. At the cradle, God became a man and took on flesh. At the cross, the God man took on death. At the cradle, you see the innocence of a life that is yet to be lived. And at the cross, you see betrayal, lies, and scorn being thrown at a life that was lived in total innocence. At the cradle, grace comes to us in the form of a baby boy held gently in his mother's arms and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And at the cross, Grace comes to us through the wrath of our Heavenly Father being poured out onto His Son through His sacrificial death. At the cradle, life was in Him, and that life was the light of men. But at the cross, the light shined into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. As we look at that scripture in John chapter 1 about the darkness in which we live and the light shines into the darkness and that darkness which has been swallowing us all up like a black hole absorbing everything that comes close to us, that darkness could not contain, it could not overcome the brilliant light of Christ, and we see that so vividly displayed whenever Jesus rises again and the death that is common to all men is overcome through Christ. You see, the good news of the cradle is that a Savior was born, but the story doesn't stop there. The Savior grew up. He lived a life that none of us could ever live. And he died on the cross, a public death. And it was not just the death of a good teacher. It was not just the death of an example who believed in his cause so greatly that he was willing to die for it. But the scriptures teach us that it was a loving, sacrificial, substitutionary death on the cross. It represented Jesus dying for your sins and mine. We call that theologically the atonement. Every one of us have a date with death. Within our destiny, there is a day in which we die. But Jesus overcame death. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. But Jesus overcame that. And the Scriptures say that all who believe in Him, were given the right to be children of God. In Romans 6, it talks about how when we believe in Jesus, God baptizes us. He places us in Christ spiritually. So He sees us in Christ. So He no longer looks at us as sinners, but He looks at us as righteous in Christ. Christ And the death that Jesus overcame, we too overcome so that we might live eternally with God, not because we're good people, not because you came to church or you did good things, but you overcome death because you're in Christ. You're God's child because you're in Christ. You have hope because you're in Christ. You have forgiveness in Christ. You have grace in Christ. Christ because the light shined into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it and those who believed he gave the right to be his children. Well, verse 14 says the word became flesh and took up residence among us. That basically means Jesus moved in next door. Okay? The word took the word became flesh and he lived among us and we observed his glory the glory is the one and only son from the father and notice what jesus was full of he was full of grace and truth there's a lot of people out there that are full of truth they know all sorts of things about the bible they have a lot of truth they're very black and white and man they will slap you upside the head if you get on the wrong side of truth I mean, they know all sorts of truth. And then there's also a lot of people out there that have a lot of grace. They love people. They forgive people. We should never never talk ill of people, but but they lack in the area of truth. Well, Jesus reveals to us both grace and truth. So Jesus brings to us the reality that there is right and wrong, uh, that we do sin, that we do fall short of God. Yet he also brings to us the possibility and the reality of grace. And whenever we see Jesus, he reveals to us grace and truth. How would you react if you were to see Jesus? How, are you, how would you react if you could see God? Well, interestingly, the, the answer in, in the Scripture, every time somebody saw an appearance of God, they were terrified. Remember the shepherds, whenever they see the angels? They, they're they absolutely terrified. Theologically, there's this word called theophanies. It's whenever God makes an appearance uh, or comes to us through an angel of the Lord. And, and whenever people saw these theophanies, that they were absolutely terrified because of the bigness and the glory and the strength and the might of God. Have you ever been truly terrified terrified in your life you ever think of a moment how many of you have ever been truly just terrified i i remember one time it was back in 2000 it was during the the bush gore election standoff and i was pastoring a church in austin texas and we had this neat little staff uh, rivalry that was going on the my my ministry assistant she was a a born and raised Southern Democrat. I mean, so just as Democrat as you possibly could get. So she was strongly for gore. And my youth minister, he wasn't, okay? He, he was exactly the opposite. And so they were going at it. And you remember where they were counting the chads and all that kind of stuff. So they were really going at it. Well, the youth minister thought it would be really funny. Uh, he got this life-size cutout of George W. Bush. I mean, full, full height and everything. And he put it behind her desk. And he thought it would be funny that whenever she showed up for work, there would be George Bush smiling at her. And, you know, they were going to have a good good laugh out of it. Sunday morning, I show up. The church is dark. You've never really been in a scary place until you've been in a church when it's dark. Michael, you've been in a dark church. They're scary, aren't they? Yeah, so it's a scary place. I'm unlocking doors, turning on lights. I need to go in her office and get something. So I unlock the door, turn on the light, and there's this man standing behind her desk. (laughs) my heart jumps. I fall back against the wall, and I put up my fist like this. Now, they say that you have to have a truly terrifying moment to know if you're one of those guys that fight or flight. So, evidently, I don't carry a man purse. I'm a fighter, you know, in that that moment. You know, you you come in, I'm going to fight you, okay? I may lose, but I'm going to go out fighting, okay? But I was absolutely terrified, and then I realized, it's George W. Bush, you know? And he's cardboard. I think I can take him at this point, okay? But have you ever been absolutely terrified? Whenever we encounter the truth of Jesus, it can be terrifying. I could never measure up to that. You read the Old Testament and all these thou shalt, thou shalt nots, and all all the different laws of the Bible. I could never be that good. I I, I mess up. I, I struggle. I could never measure up. And that's the whole point of the message of Christ. He didn't just bring to us truth. He brought to us grace. You see, the message of the gospel is, no, you can't measure up. You can't be good enough to work your way to God. So God came to you. And He did for you what you could never do on your own. And so we observe Christ's glory. Whenever I receive the truth of God... I observe Christ's glory. Whenever I take steps of faith, I observe Christ's glory. I observe Christ's glory when the gospel begins to transform my heart and reshape how I see the world. I observe Christ's glory when the realities of salvation overflow in my life and I become, become a worshiper whenever I delight in the Creator. I'm observing God's glory. Now you may remember like way way back in this sermon, like 25 minutes ago, uh, I said that as we do this Christmas remix, that that I'm uh, tweaking the song "O Come, O Rise, O Come, Emmanuel." And what I want you to understand is that the birth of Jesus is not a standalone event; that it was connected to creation, it was connected to resurrection, and it's also connected to the culmination of all things. You see, in the Scripture, there is this doctrine of hope that teaches that Christ will come back again, and this fracturing of creation that I talked about earlier, this sense that even though I'm saved, something's not right, that brokenness will be restored, and it is in that restoration that we have hope that goes beyond just the years that we live. It's in that restoration and that promise of culmination that we have hope in heaven and eternity with Christ. I'm keenly aware that as people celebrate and gather and have fun at Christmas time, that for some there are a lot of tears shed at Christmas time. Because as we go through the holiday traditions, Sometimes we miss those that used to be there. Those that have died. In fact, how many of us in the room today are missing people that have already gone on to be at heaven here at Christmas time? It's something that we all deal with. One of the most beautiful things about this time of the year is that it reminds me that heaven is real. That there's hope. That just as Christ came at Bethlehem, that he will come again that just as Christ brought life to us through the cross, that he brings life to us for eternity in heaven. And it's because of heaven that I can continue celebrating at Christmas time, even though there are people that I love that are not here. I lost a friend this year back in January. I lost a good friend named Jeff. I spoke to you guys about it when it happened. But I'm going to see Jeff again because of heaven. Because of heaven, I have a grandmother that died whenever my mom was just three years of age. She was in her early 20s. I never got to meet her. But one day, I'm going to see my grandmother because of heaven. My wife's father died when he was 47 years old. He had a heart attack. My wife was two weeks away from graduating high school. I never got to meet the man that would be my father-in-law. But one day, I will. I look forward to shaking his hand and asking him for permission to marry his daughter. (laughs) But I'll meet him. I'll meet him in heaven because hope is real and Jesus is real. One of the best bits of parenting advice that I've ever received came from a preacher named Andy Stanley. And what he said in a sermon one day has stuck with me. He said that every now and then, a loving father needs to take his children aside and ask them a simple question. How's your heart? Hey, son, before you get married, how's your heart? Before you graduate, how's your heart? Hey, kids, before you go to bed tonight, I just want to ask you, how's your heart? Is there rebellion in there? Anger? Anger? Have you allowed cynicism to get inside your heart? Sarcasm? Is it wounded? How's your heart, child? Because I love you. And I don't want your heart to be filled with anger. I want it to be filled with love. And I think sometimes as we go through the Christmas season, we need to look inward and ask us that question, ask ourselves that question. How's my heart? Is my heart just filled with busyness, selfishness, sarcasm, cynicism, anger, unforgiveness? Have I been wounded? How's my heart? One of the great things about God is he's in the business of healing hearts. When you open your heart to him and allow him to do the work that only he can do, even the brokenhearted can be made whole again. How's your heart today? Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? And I want to speak specifically right now to those that may have never opened their heart to Christ. The greatest gift that Christmas has to offer is the gift of Christ. And I invite you, if you've never had that moment where you truly opened your heart to Christ and embraced Him as your Savior and Lord, to do that right now. Right here in this worship center, Murphy Road Baptist Church, December 2014. The Christmas scenes around you, the band getting ready to play. Open your heart to Jesus Christ and embrace Him as your Savior and Lord. Just call out to God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have done things that I shouldn't have done, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is Lord, and I'm placing my trust in him. And Father, I commit my life today to walk with you and to know you and to be a worshiper. And I pray for your presence to be in my life. If today is that day where you're opening your heart to God for the very first time. I invite you to come and tell me. I'll be here at the front. Tell me, Pastor, I, I became a Christian today. I won't embarrass you. I just want to rejoice with you, pray with you, encourage you however I can. I want to encourage you to go public. Be baptized. Tell those people in your life that You know, our Christians, I, I made that decision myself. I'm a believer. I place my faith in Christ today. I open my heart to Christ. For him to do a work in me. Some of you here today, you're you're a believer. But how's your heart? Some things have taken up residence in your heart that don't need to be there. And it's time to evict them. It's time to get rid of the anger. It's time to quit living your life cynical all the time and pushing others down. It's time to open your heart up to God and let Him do His work. God, thank you for this moment. Help us to have hearts open to you and may your love abide within us. When we say the word Emmanuel, May we experience it in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.